Welcome to Haber Bros, a podcast for historic cross-centered Christians. We seek to provide ancient answers to a culture that's forgotten the questions. Thank you for listening to us this week. If you like what you're hearing or enjoy the show, please share it with a friend, for this is the biggest way that podcasts grow. Say positive things about us on Twitter and Facebook. If you haven't yet given us a five-star rating, please give us a five-star rating. Pause this and go to Apple Podcasts or whatever platform upon which you are listening and give us a positive review. Follow us on Twitter at, at @clergylay and join our Facebook discussion group. I'm Kirk Haberman, a church musician, and this is my brother Chris, a priest. Hey Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Kirk. A uh, great uh, preposition usage there upon which you are listening. I, I still, my ears, uh, um, sentences ending in prepositions uh, still clang in my ears. Um, though there's, uh, amongst English teachers and grammarians, there's now um, slovenly pushback against that. People muttering about um, how it, we inherit it from Latin, which is a highly inflected language, and we're not. There's the uh, people like to quote Winston Churchill, his ironic, thing, his ironic saying when he said, Ending a sentence with a preposition is something... Oh, it's, it's not the sort of bloody nonsense with, with which I will not put. Yes, with which I will not put. Yes, that's funny. So I'm sorry, yes. up with which I will not put. That's right. You knew the quote? That's, yes, that's awesome. Yeah. That's funny, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Kirk, what's new in, in, uh, in the Shire, as you call your home? Other than old school uh, grammar standards. Yeah. Uh, yesterday, I was very excited. Um, did, we had late dinner because we were waiting for the Amazon driver. Why were we waiting for the Amazon driver, you might ask? Because earlier in the week, Kirk, I Kirk, had, Kirk, Kirk. Yes. Did, did you go out and yell at the driver for being late? Uh, no, but I did have a different kind of awkward <laughs> conversation with the driver. Like, I was so excited <laughs> that I, like, wanted to talk to her and... I, she must've been behind. Yeah. Was, no, she the was, same, just, was she, was she the same one that used to work for FedEx that delivered you the rotten vegetables the day late? Cause I uh, no, that'd be no. awesome. Okay. Uh, th this driver, she was, um, uh, she seemed pleasant and competent. However, she also seemed on a mission and I was not part of that mission. So <laughs> she's like, I mean, if you're, if your delivery was pretty late, then, then she probably wanted to get on with it, you know? Yeah, I mean, Amazon kept readjusting the delivery time. It wasn't it wasn't preposterously late. Anyhow, that's that's that, that that's not the the point of the story. The point of the story is this: uh, a month or so ago, I had signed up for a week a month free of New York a month free of the New York Times cooking subscription, and for a month I've had great recipes, uh, and it just lapsed. And when it lapsed, uh, their paywall is uh, is fairly secure. <laughs> so uh, they figured out the whole like uh what's the the way you go um you used to be easy you'd open up a what's the word i'm looking for like uh, a secure web page or whatever uh yeah. you you go what's the word like a dark like a uh, private private, private window browser. in safari yeah. or in, in chrome <laughs> they called it incognito incognito, incognito mode yeah. where it would kind of cover up your i IP address, but uh, they they they've they've uh, they fixed that loophole, and and also they fixed the one where you could just Google it and click on it that way. Right. Yeah, they've got a good they've got a good payroll. They 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 do. Yeah. And they and they need to like the uh, yeah the the dead Free, tree freeloaders the, like you. Yeah. Yeah. The paper subscriptions are not where any publication makes their money at this point. So anyway, uh, one of the 
a myriad of fun recipes that I got from them was a Bavarian pretzel recipe. Now I've made pretzels before. Um, and I don't even, maybe even I've made pretzels when you've been out here with us and it's fun. Um, but, uh, but they've been, they've been off, not quite right. And I, I, I just inherently trusted the New York times, uh, a pretzel recipe, like a, a good proper Bavarian pretzel. And yeah, so, I mean, New York City, of course, would be great with Bavarian <laughs> recipes, right? It's in the yeah, heart of Bavaria. I, I mean, I, I trust them to be properly snooty and to want to get it right. You know? Sure. Yeah. So um, one of the things that uh, there, there are two things that, that you needed. You need lots of you need lots of lots of yeast. And I was low on yeast. And that, that is a nice Ooh, looking rookie, rookie mistake there. Oh, hey, uh, sorry. I did not mean that was that was an early reveal on that. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Something about pretzels made you think about TIE Fighters. Oh, no. Something about Bavarians made you think about oh, TIE my. Fighters. About space Nazis. OK, uh, <laughs> continue with with, with the, the little Bavaria in the story. That's right. So you get a rookie move. You're low on yeast. Low on yeast. So I go to Amazon and uh, as with you know, everything, Costco, Target, Walmart, Amazon, bulk is better pricing, like by volume. Indeed. So I got, Christopher, I ordered on Amazon on Tuesday. 10-year ten, ten supply. pound of yeast. That's a lot of yeast. A pound of yeast looks roughly like a pound of coffee <laughs> when you receive it. Um, and it's vacuum packed. And if you've ever had like ordered coffee that's been vacuum sealed, it was quite like that. And I was so excited about it that when the uh, Amazon delivery driver arrived, <laughs> Iris let me know because, you know, dogs, uh, uh, delivery driver arrives and it's essentially the high point of their week. So she, she sprinted out. Yes, you're looking at me. Yes, I'm imitating you. She's wagging her tail. She's like, he speaks my language. Very exciting. So I go out there. I grab it. I pick up the, the, uh, the package. I rip it open and I see my pound of yeast. And the, the driver is walking back up my driveway towards her, uh, her, her delivery truck. And I say, thank you. <laughs> it's yeast. And she looks at me and gives me a really awkward smile. And I'm like, <laughs> and I just suddenly realized how dumb I sounded. But I'm excited. You know, I, just I don't think to share... any recipients of packages thank their delivery person. So, and to yeah. clarify, thinking maybe I could make things better. I yelled, it's a pound of yeast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know that that made it better. <laughs> oh, it, it certainly did, Kirk. And That's I then, then like very self-consciously, awkwardly, because sort of half yelled like, I'm going to go bake now. <laughs> and I went inside. And uh, there are two reasons why um, the pretzels did not work out as well as they ought to have. Number one, to really properly do a proper German soft pretzel, um, you need to soak them for like 30 seconds in a mixture of water, like 10 cups of water and uh, like half a cup of food grade lye. <laughs> Christopher, do you know what lye is? Uh, I know it's part of the soap making process and it's incredibly caustic. Yeah. You should not ever let it touch your skin. <laughs> um, uh, the, the, the Vikings, um, when they would go on long journeys, used to make something called lutefisk by taking raw cod and soaking it in lye, which allows it to essentially last, for, last forever. And it's called lutefisk. And all Swedish Americans now are inflicted with poor lutefisk every Christmas tide. And um, guess what you do with lutefisk that's not eaten? Um, you... you save it for next Christmas. Oh, yuck. <laughs> because it's been soaked in lye. And that's why the so, Vikings would. <laughs> I'm so, not sure the difference between food grade lye and regular lye, but I just Googled it. It says lye <laughs> can be harmful or even fatal if swallowed. Ingestion can, ca can cause esophageal stricture. That sounds bad. <laughs> so I did not order the food grade lye because it was really expensive. And if you then Google like, and you go second. on like a terror, you go on a terror <laughs> watch list as well. <laughs> right. Potentially. So the second best way of making daddy, pretzels... why can't <laughs> mommy, why can't daddy get on the plane with us? Well, he's, 
He's on a he, watch list. He ordered he's on, he's on the no-fly list. He's remember those amazing pretzels. pretzels we had where you're like, these <laughs> taste just like Munich. <laughs> it's because he ordered lie. Yeah, so we so the other the other way to do it is you get you boil a bunch of water and then you dump like a quarter cup, half a cup of baking soda in there. And then you let you you you, you make the pretzel and then you you put it in there and um and then you pull it out after 30 seconds and then you bake it. But that's like an Airzatz pretzel. It's like second best. So it was it was fine. But like when you're at a restaurant and uh, you order like a soft pretzel or you're at, um, what's it called? Oh, shoot. We've got one in Pittsburgh. It's a knockoff. It's not a knockoff. It's actually um, Hofbrau. If you're at a Hofbrau and you... Um, you They've you... got food grade lie there. <laughs> yes, none, they none, do. None, yes, of their, do. none of their uh, people in charge of ordering are to able to To get that, like, that crunchy in the outside, that brown crunch, and then the impossibly soft on the inside. So it was, it was, it was fine. Also, here's the problem. Like I don't, I'm not patient enough um, to, to properly twist the pretzel. And so they, they look intestinal. We're <laughs> <laughs> like, a yeah, you, it's you, business. <laughs> I believe before we started recording, you, you were described as a Pinterest fail. Yeah. High quality Pinterest fail. So that's, if you don't, if you don't know what that is, uh, Pinterest is, is a website or an app that um, that's very, art and visually oriented where you can kind of share like cool projects and things that you do. And um, a Pinterest fail is when you uh, attempt to replicate something that someone did that was cool and it looks comically bad. And um, there, there are many examples of Pinterest fails that have made me belly laugh uh, until, until my gut was sore. So, or sometimes you'll see a meme, like you'll see um, a recipe, the way it turned out, like how it was supposed to be, how it worked out. Or sometimes nail. That's what it. I mean. Yeah, that's yeah, Pinterest yeah. fail. Yeah, yep, yep. is it like we we aim for this thing and then it did not, did not turn. So out. yeah, nailed it, nailed it. Yeah, Kirk. Um, <laughs> I just watched the movie Chef, which is fantastic. It is on Netflix, uh-huh. and if you have Netflix, everybody should watch it. It's it's uh, directed, I think, directed by John Favreau. It stars John Favreau. I, I guess I assumed he he uh, wrote and directed it, but um. It's it's uh, he has a son, so he's really just really into just handcrafted artisanal things, you know. And like he he pulls this like pork, whatever kind of pork it is, pork loin, pork tenderloin, whatever part of pork that that goes pork into butt? a Cuban sandwich. <laughs> okay. Uh, and he and and kind of his sous chef like sit there admiring it, and his son's like, they sell that at the store. And they're just like, kid, you don't get it. You know, like, like the way we just handcrafted this thing, like is not the same as what you could get in the store. Cause what our kids get when they get soft pretzels, Kirk, it is store-bought pre-cooked reheated in the oven. Right. <laughs> um, not the same, uh, very good, but not, not the same. So anyway, for, for, for my uh, contribution, I've got, I've got show, and, show tell. and tell. Yes. <laughs> Oh, that's the bad sound. Pew pew pew. There, there we go. I can't. The, 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 that was really good. Can you do that one more been time? Been practicing Kirk? that my whole life. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. <laughs> that was really good. Uh, like one of the things that amazes me about Star Wars is is um, the sound effects are just amazing. And I don't know how long they spent working on like what does a Tie Fighter sound like? And they have the coolest distinct sound, don't they? I, I I think it's um an elephant, an elephant trumpeting, that's been exp- like uh, so they okay. took the wave and they expanded it. They do yeah. really interesting yeah, things yeah, to yeah. get these sounds. Like <laughs> uh, I remember the way that they got a blaster sound, like the pew pew of, of a blaster is. I think they like hit something against the ground and then played with those waves a little bit. They do really interesting things. But this is a Tie Fighter, a Lego Tie Fighter that Isaac put together at his infusion. Uh, I got it at Costco, my favorite store. Uh, it was very inexpensive it, compared to regular. It makes me go want to inexplicably go and destroy a rebel base. <laughs> <gasps> yeah, and and I guess this this is uh, probably not a good thing for Star Wars purists. But when I think of Tie Fighters, I can't help but think of Episode Seven, where yeah. uh, where uh, yes. Omar Isaac, uh, that is that his name. Yeah, no, no, uh, Jason Isaacs. No, not Jason Isaac. Not he's, Jason. he's different. He plays I, General Zhukov 
<laughs> I went for a run today, and my brain is not. Uh, he also like, he also plays uh, the evil father in Harry Potter. He he has his hair dyed blonde. Jason Isaacs, not Jason Oscar Isaacs. Oscar Isaac. What is it, Omar? Um, where uh, Oscar Oscar Isaac uh, steals early on steals a, a Tie Fighter to escape from the Resistance uh, ship, and and it, like the, just even just the way that they made the. Uh, uh, kind of a newbie, a guy yeah. who'd never float. He could, he's like, I can fly anything. He gets in there a and sense he's like, of like, half he's like, oh, weight. yeah, mm. and it kind of shakes a little bit. And he's like, oh boy, this thing flies. Um, and he's kind of exhilarated by it. Like, that's when I think of a TIE fighter, I think of that. Um, anyway, shall we move on to the gospel? Or do you have a really good transition from TIE fighters and pew pew? Um, maybe the glow of, of, well, of the exploding Alderaan? Well, I mean, I mean, just back back to the Tie Fighter for a moment. Uh, I mean, if if you had been a pilot your whole life and never gotten to fly a uh, a Tie Fighter, and you finally get to fly a Tie Fighter, I mean, that would qualify kind of as one of those great mountaintop experiences, right? Indeed. Speaking of mountaintop experiences, <laughs> let us move on to the gospel. <laughs> This week's gospel reading comes from Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 13. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. There appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi. It is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this uh, bit of text here is called the Transfiguration, and it is always the text of the last Sunday of Epiphany. And it's interesting, Kirk, how these things that have become customary uh, weren't always this way we, we know that epiphany was this ancient season uh but uh the 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 way that we celebrate it now isn't necessarily that old this this um right the season that begins january 6th and ends with this transfiguration and yeah. in fact some of the older manuals so we have a, a, a prayer book that's just two years old mm -hmm. and um our new prayer book refers to see uh sundays of epiphany it used to be that they were referred to as Sundays after right. Epiphany, where Epiphany was one day, and then there was a season after Epiphany, after Epiphany um, that, that is not, not necessarily connected. And in fact, um, people writing about it would say, don't refer to this as Transfiguration Sunday. Like, don't, you know, it's it's the last... Because there is a Feast of the Transfiguration. Yes. What is yes. it? it? August 26th or August 20th? August it's, a, it's in August. I don't yeah, remember yeah, yeah. what the date is. Right. But it, it is, it, it does, it, it's always the reading here on the, on the last Sunday of Epiphany. And there's and a it, logic it, to it. There's a logic to it. There's, there's a symmetry 
Um, you, what voice do we hear from heaven here, Kirk? What, what, what is the quote here from the father? Do you remember? This is my, be- this is my beloved son. This is my beloved which son. Which is precisely what we heard at the baptism, the baptism. of our Lord. Yeah. Yep. The first so the Sunday. First Sunday yeah, exactly. The first Sunday of Epiphany, we we he- hear this voice from heaven, and we hear see it here at the end. So, and there also there also is a logic to it in that when they come down, he begins to walk to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So so it does make a lot of sense for this to be here, and yet not every tradition necessarily has this. Ours does have, have this gospel reading always, and it's recent. It's recent within our tradition as well. Right. Only mm-hmm. in the seventy nine prayer book, yep. uh, and then in the uh, the, the twenty nineteen prayer book, because otherwise, in previous prayer books, we would be in the Jessima Sundays, which are mm-hmm. fun to say. So this would be Quinquagesima, yes, yeah. Pre-man. Yeah, and I'm trying to remember what the gospel text was. It's probably not going to come to me anyway. Um, <laughs> but this is it. This uh, this is the way it is now, and um, and it's fitting, and. So let's let's take first a look at, at what, what actually happens, and then we can look at like what it means. And and of course, as as we're trying to understand like what it is that that we're reading about, it's important to, to see these linking uh, phrases. Um, it, Mark, it, is, it has it would have been um, from Luke eighteen, uh, Jesus um, telling his disciples that uh, he will be uh, delivered unto the Gentiles, mocked, uh, spit upon, scourged, and put to death. Okay. So kind of a, a pre yeah figure yeah very pre preview yep. yeah yeah which again there's that's another discussion I think um so anyway we have these linking words at the beginning uh, of verse two uh, which always should point us to kind of understand where a, a particular passage lies in context we always want to read scripture in its context of of the particular book and and of, of the whole Bible as as a whole. And, and we see Mark give this unusual precision. He says, after six days. Um, and, and so it's, it's always important to be like, well, what, what happened before this? And so we see Jesus foretelling his death and resurrection before this. And before that, we see um, Jesus in the uh, villages of Caesarea Philippi, where we have Peter with his great confession, this, this kind of mountaintop, uh, kind of this apex in the Gospels, this at least one of the many peaks in the Gospels where um, Jesus says, who do you say that I am? You know, he says, who do they say, who do people say that I am? And then they're like, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, some others, one of the prophets. And then, and then Jesus changes the question. He says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers for the disciples and says, you're the Christ. And in Mark, that's all he says. Um, in, in Matthew, as we uh, looked at in, in the fall, um, he said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And so, this confession it reveals that the Peter gets something, but he doesn't get the whole picture. Um, and so this, this whole idea of, of Jesus as Messiah, it doesn't really make sense. And one commentator I notice is like, well, it doesn't actually make sense until they witness um, the suffering, death, and resurrection. Um, that in fact, uh, at the end of this passage, uh, Jesus, this is the first time that Jesus says, don't tell anybody uh, on I'm sorry. He said this many times. This is the first time he actually says, don't tell anybody until. And so he charges them not to say anything until um, he is raised from the dead. And then they're like, well, what? Like, what does this mean? Uh, and Kirk, I saw you kind of looking at different things. Did I read too far? Um, did, was the text? You you did. I appreciate your okay. enthusiasm. You just All right. Did, did it stop at, did it stop nine. at uh, nine? Okay. Yep. So I, I read a few too many verses. Hey, the so only reading, thing re- the only thing better than reading the Word of God is, is more of it. More of it, yeah. That's right. More is better, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and um, so you know what is that that, that happens? Well, uh, Jesus appears. Uh, so he takes Peter, James, and John, kind of this inner circle uh, that we see at a, a few other times um, that uh, Jesus had kind of. You know, we think of his disciples as the 12, but um, in fact, he had these this three that kind of had the special place. But then he also, in, in the book of Luke, did he have, was it 70, this group of 70? Right. Um, layers and, within layers, yeah. Yeah, and we see these women that are part, kind of part of this group that, that he, in fact, had a benefactor that was part of the, the household of Herod. And, um, and in, you know, I, I've referred to John 6 a million times. Uh, Jesus 
saying I'm the bread of life and how he drove away many disciples. And it says they stopped following him. This wasn't referring to the 12, but there were many others that were following him. So in, in, in this case, these, these three, Peter, James, and John is an interesting Mark nine is an interesting place for this to land. Um, because in, uh, in just in, in chapter eight, as Peter foretells his death and resurrection, Peter, uh, Jesus has to say to Peter, uh, get behind me, Satan, uh, as Peter does not really understand. And then the next chapter, in chapter 10, we see James and John asking for a very special place. I love this request they, they, they come to Jesus with, Kirk, in chapter 10. They say, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Yes. <laughs> oh, the boldness there of coming to Jesus, their Lord, and saying this. And uh, Jesus, he, he, uh, he indulges them a little bit. He says, well, what do you want me to do for you? And they say, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. And Jesus teaches something incredibly revealing about his sort of kingdom, right? <laughs> you know, to sit at my right hand and left hand? No, that's not something that, like, you're capable of. He says, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they're like, yeah, sure, yeah, 100%. And Jesus says, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant, but is for those for whom it has been prepared. But Jesus is like, you don't understand. Like, um, part of my glory is, is to suffer and die. And and we see that a little bit here. Um, do we see his glory? And what we see is the fulfillment of God's revelation is what we see. So of these people that appear with him, Moses and Elijah, Moses represents the law or the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And Elijah represents the prophets which in the Hebrew Bible, um, you know, we think of the prophets as the major and minor prophets, you know, Isaiah uh, being a major prophet and minor prophets being like Nahum and Habakkuk and all those shorter books. Uh, but the prophets actually start with, um, with the account of, of uh, in fact, of Elijah and, and the like. Um, so Judges, First and Second Kings, those were considered part of the, part of the prophets. Um, so, uh, and so, we, as Christians, we have this belief about um, God's, like the, the, we know God through his generous self-disclosure and that he has revealed um, to the, himself to the world through scripture um, and most, uh, his, his most full revelation of himself is through the son himself. And so uh, these disciples on this mountain, they, they see the law and the prophets and God most fully revealed in Jesus Christ. And yet, uh, they still don't really understand. It, it really isn't until the day of Pentecost that all this makes sense. I've pointed out many times, Kirk, how on the day of, of Ascension that, that uh, the disciples still don't, are, don't quite get it. The, the question they ask Jesus, is now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Well, they're still looking for him to do something a little bit different than, than what, in fact, this Messiah came to do. So it's, it's worth pointing out, again, as we've pointed out many times, that, that the idea of, of a Messiah who dies is doesn't make sense um, to their conception of what a Messiah is. So just as Peter had just proclaimed Jesus to be the Christ, the anointed one, this Davidic Messiah, um, it wasn't clear to them what that means. So uh, another interesting thing uh, with Moses and Elijah is, is, is Moses and Elijah, they, they had unusual departures from life. Yeah. So right. So Elijah was taken to heaven in a in chariots of fire, uh, and and Moses, we are told in Deuteronomy thirty four, that that he died and was buried. There's this odd note that says no one knows where his grave is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and um, so as far as the interpretation of this is like, okay, well, the, the, you know, this is why some people thought that that Jesus was maybe perhaps Moses or Elijah. Um, and Peter. Uh, just a, a, a note about the reliability of scripture is that we have these odd things that are thrown in that are totally unnecessary for the story um, and are not necessarily in all the gospels. Right. But, but we get them because this is how it happened where if, if uh, any of these people had final 
final cut. Right. You know, like if someone has final cut on a movie, they can say, ah, I don't really want this part making it to the final product. If they had final cut, they wouldn't have put this where Peter's a very human reaction of, of right. just wanting to preserve this moment of, of, of seeing Christ's glory and of seeing um, these prophets, these, um, these people, that they had, these heroes of the faith. Yeah, Mark obviously forgot to run this draft by Peter's agent. <laughs> and, 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 you know, he's, he's like, it, it tells us that he does not know, he didn't know what to say. He didn't know what to say. He's like, oh, this is, this is great. We should, um, he wants to pres- let us make three tents. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. That's what I say and, in awkward uh, social situations. No, you say, thank you for the yeast. It's for faking. <laughs> <laughs> and the awkward social social situation that is encountering our delivery drivers. That's right. Yeah. And um, I, I guess just a, a last few things to say um, is, is just reflections on, on when we encounter this stuff in the, in the Bible, when we see mountains, um, mountains are, are, um, are usually these places where, uh, God is is revealed. Um, I'm sorry. I, I, if it sounds like I'm buying time, it's because I'm looking at my notes. I have notes in front of me, and I'm and I'm looking um, for exactly what I wrote down here. You're usually quite smooth as you're uh, riffing. Yeah, for, uh, yeah. Like I said, I went for a run, and that that uh, stole my, my brain really activity. Yeah. You, usually, yeah. it brings crystal clarity to my thoughts. Yeah, I'm full yeah, of thoughts to- after a run. Not, not to me. Um, but anyway, so, so we have mountains are usually places of divine revelation. That's what I was looking for. I found my place. Um, so we have uh, Mount Moriah uh, where uh, we see this Old Testament, this beautiful thing prefiguring Christ where uh, Abraham was asked to, to sacrifice Isaac, his son, his only son whom he loved. And so he, he, he faithfully goes up and does what the Lord asked of him. And it's interesting, the whole way, I, I love this, Isaac says, where's the sacrifice? And uh, Kirk, what does Abraham say? God will provide the ram. God will provide the sacrifice. I don't, I don't know if he says ram, but God will provide the right. sacrifice, um, which is what God does for us, is that like God provides a sacrifice for us so that we might be reconciled to the Father. And in Sinai, the giving of the law, there's a place of mm-hmm. divine revelation, these mountains. And then, of course, the Sermon on the Mount, yeah. <laughs> Mount Horeb, and um, Elijah at this at this low point in his life where God comes to him and um, reassures him. And of course, Kirk, what does the cloud represent? The Holy Spirit. Uh, just divine presence, right? Okay. Yeah, where, where um, Kirk, I remember I remember a sermon uh, that I that you preached that I was that I really loved. Um, you talked about. Um, the, the cloud, whether it's a cloud or smoke, um, the mm-hmm. cloud in the a pillar of cloud in the sky. But then uh, when um, God made the first covenant with Abraham, um, that a pillar of smoke appeared between the severed animals. And that yes. was God's presence passing between those. And then we also see um, uh, kind of this clouds of smoke fill the temple um, when the temple was dedicated. Yeah. So we see throughout scripture, these, these clouds and um, revealing divine presence. So those are, those are things that stand out to me, Kirk. What do you see here in this passage? Uh, So the, uh, the tradition of uh, Moses and Elijah representing the law and the prophets, um, uh, we get that through, through origin and uh, Martin Luther liked to preach on that as well. Uh, but it's it's lovely. You spoke of transfiguration as kind of the bookend, as providing symmetry. Um, Jesus' ministry begins at his baptism and in some ways ends here as he pivots to Jerusalem, sets his face to Jerusalem um, towards final things, um, towards, towards, towards nails and death and crosses and trials. Um, and uh, and um, it's fitting because Jesus is the completion of the law and the prophets. Um, he is the perfect satisfaction of the law. He is the fulfillment of all that the of all that the prophets uh, sought sought to um, preach to to Israel, both uh, both in both in terms of um, uh, like pro- prediction, prophesying, and prophesying as as in bringing judgment, um, bringing what 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 do the reformed call it? Uh, covenant lawsuit, 
well, well, Jesus is the final covenant lawsuit. As we saw last week, I'm talking about Simeon. Um, he will be the source of division, right? Jesus brings the final covenant lawsuit and also the covenant reconciliation. Um, he is he is both the judgment and he's both the judge and the sacrifice, redeeming um, those or who come to judge. When we talked with the the yeah. um, the hymn last year, songs of thankfulness and praise, yeah. we, we referred to the, that great hymn with the same tune. At the Lamb's High Feast, yes. we sing. There's a great line of that hymn that's um, Christ the victim, Christ, Christ the, the priest. Christ the priest, yep. That he's both. Yes. Yeah. So, so I think this is that's a that's a great interpretation. Uh, and if you're you're preaching on it or you're meditating on it, you know that's um, there, there's there's much fruitful there to pray about and to kind of sit with. Um, Mount Tabor, which is tradition has that's where this this is. Uh, and go to Google Earth, pause this, go to Google Earth, go to Google Maps. I think you can three-dimensionally pull it up on Google Earth. It's really interesting. It's on it's on a plane, and it's this mountain. This three, if you were to stand on Mount Tabor and look around in 360 degrees, um, there's nothing around it. And Christopher, I believe our father and our, and our grandfather have been there to the Church of the Transfiguration on the top of Mount Tabor. Again, this is this is tradition that's been passed down. Um, and the scripture doesn't verify it, but it's kind of what we've received um, from, from. Well, the, the other one times. is is the mountain that that is slipping my mind by Caesarea Philippi. That, that's the other right. possible one, and we have that day, that Carmel? six days linkage. Mount Carmel. No. It's, right. I, it's it's going to bother me that 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 I can't remember. But in any case, on. Tabor is interest interesting, and it and it and it causes you to stroke your chin. Um, because then you could see how it would be within walking distance of Jerusalem, because it's south of the Sea of Galilee, um, sort of in the Jord Jordan River Valley. Um, yeah, so this is, uh, I, I, I don't really, Christopher, I know we want to save our time so that we can, we can do our next, uh, uh, we, have, we, have, we have kind of much to think through in our, in our next section. Um, but, it's, but it's hard to talk about the transfiguration without especially the way we have, we observe the church calendar in the church here now. Um, we know what comes next once they walk down the mountain. And uh, recently I had a sermon, I, I was present when a sermon was preached on transfiguration um, that speculated that um, Jesus gave this revelation to Peter, James, and John as special fortification because very quickly they were going to go through um, personal trials. Christopher, you mentioned that these are the inner three, right? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, as a result, they were going to be sorely tried within the next uh, several weeks and within the next uh, next several years. And um, surely having, Peter mentions it, right? Christopher, he says, and we have seen his glory. John mentions mm -hmm. this. We have seen mm -hmm. his glory as of one, as he says in John 1, uh, the only son of the father, right? But but it also in in the epistle reading for this Sunday, um, we see him talk about it. Yeah. So I, I I think that's pious speculation as well that this was special fortification. Jesus in um, uh, pastorally, lovingly knowing what um, these men who have followed him, given their lives and followed him, giving them special fortification for what is coming next. Like friends, dearest friends, uh, whom I love. Let me show you this so that you can cling to this in the trials that are to come so it's, again that's pious speculation but i like to think of that yeah kirk could i read just a little bit from the the epistle reading for this yeah please do Which, yeah yeah I, I believe the the revised common lectionary reading is is different so if you're part of a church that that goes with that um it won't be this so it, it comes from uh second peter chapter one the whole reading is 13 through 21. I'll shorten it mm -hmm. yeah, a little yeah. bit. I'll start, I'll start at verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we, made, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Amen. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the mountain and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention 
as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So he's kind of getting at what I was uh, kind of how I started talking about God's revelation mm -hmm. is that this isn't stuff that, that we cleverly um, huddled up and, and devised this thing. This was revealed to us. We are eyewitness. Um, this, these are eyewitness testimonies of the majesty of Christ, that they were on this mountain and saw this, and they're reporting what they have seen. And, that, and that's an important thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I mean, next for Peter, James, and John was the trip to Jerusalem the triumphal entry, and then things go sideways in a hurry. And um, we, too, pivot in our church um, because after Sunday, a couple days after Sunday, will come Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday, the church celebrates um, on a Wednesday every year uh, because Lent is 40 days. <laughs> just, just in case that was unclear, uh, the church uh, observes, I shouldn't say celebrates, observes 40 days of fasting because our Lord went into the desert um, for his temptation and fasted and prayed for 40 days. And so, too, we set aside 40 days for prayer and fasting. However, if you've ever looked at a calendar and gone from Ash Wednesday to Easter, you won't get 40 days, will you, Christopher? No. Be Why don't you get 40 days? Sundays, uh, it is actually inappropriate to fast on a Sunday because it was on the Sunday that our Lord was raised from the dead. So every Sunday is a mini resurrection day. That's right. Yeah. Every Sunday is a mini Easter, which is a, which is a, a lovely thing. The Lord's so, Day, yeah. Yes. Um, and so Ash Wednesday, we begin Lent by staring in the face. And this is the entire point. And Christopher, I want to hear from a pastor's perspective uh, from you as well. The entire point of Ash Wednesday is to begin Lent acknowledging our mortality and our need to reconcile with God because one day we will die. Um, Ash Wednesday, we begin uh, Lent with a day of ashes and fasting. Often after a day of feasting, uh, you might have heard of Mardi Gras, which is sort of just kind of a, I don't want to say secularized. It makes me sound like a church marm, but like <laughs> it's a, it's, um, it's Mardi Gras is just means Fat Tuesday in French, uh, but Carnival is what it's called in Germany and in Italy. Um, Tuesday is a day we go out, we go out of, out, we leave Epiphany with a bang, Christopher, and then we solemnly enter Lent. Um, with fasting, prayer, and ashes. Um, ashes, uh, we put ashes on our forehead because as we'll look at in a minute, um, in our liturgy, Christopher, uh, kind of uh, the, the point of coming to Ash Wednesday is to acknowledge our mortality and ashes are put on our head as the pastor or priest says to us, um, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And I was, I as you were riffing, and so too I am riffing now to find the exact rubric. Here it is. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Um, and Christopher, may I uh, may I read very briefly um, uh, what our prayer book says uh, con um, concerning yeah. Ash Wednesday, and then yeah. pass this over to you to kind of give us a pastor's perspective on Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday marks the beginning of the season of Lent, a time of penitence fasting and prayer in preparation for the great feast of the resurrection. The season of Lent began in the early days of the church as a time of preparation for those seeking to be baptized at the Easter vigil. 
The 40 days refer to our Lord's time of fasting in the wilderness. And since Sundays are never fast days, Ash Wednesday is the beginning of the Lenten fast. Throughout the Old Testament, ashes are used as a sign of sorrow and repentance. And Christians have traditionally used ashes to indicate sorrow for our own sins. And as a reminder that the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. Like Adam and Eve, we have disobeyed and rebelled against God and are under the same judgment. Quote, you are dust and to dust you shall return. Genesis 3.19. But as we are marked with ashes in the same manner that we were signed with the cross in baptism, we are also reminded of the life we share in Jesus Christ, the second Adam. It is in this sure hope that we begin the journey of these 40 days, that by hearing and answering our Savior's call to repent, we may joy enter joyfully into the celebration of his resurrection. Um, remember, we follow the example, Christopher, of the Ninevites. This is my own observation, not, not the prayer book any longer. We follow the example of the Ninevites uh, in the book of Jonah, who did penance in sackcloth and ashes. Mm -hmm. uh, and so likewise, we mark our forehead or our head um, with ashes to humble our hearts and remind us that life passes away on earth. Uh, mortality, yeah. mortality, mortality. That is the hard, difficult point of Ash Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. And interesting note about the ashes they're not just any ashes they it is yes. customary to use um ashes that are produced by the burning of palms from the previous um year's palm sunday service and, and so this is symbolically has this this powerful thing that that um the same people who who waved palm branches and celebrated the the triumphal arrival of jesus christ um, were probably the same ones who shouted crucify him at the end of the week. Crucify him, crucify him. We want Barabbas. We want the insurrectionist. Like this is the Jesus. This is the this is the Christ we want. We want the guy who's gonna go kick Rome's butt. We don't like this this whole like meek and mild will die for our sins. Eh, you know, whatever. Um, and the dust from those things is is kind of a reminder to us that that we would have probably welcomed him the same way um gladly um and also called for his death um and we talked about the mel gibson in, in the passion of christ um pounding depicting his own hands pounding nails into christ's hands um like that that's us and and so our our um it's a reminder of a mortality and and that apart from the work of jesus christ um that uh that we are nothing but sinners sinners who are going to die and in the past I've, I've talked about the the beauty of of our of that latin phrase lex orandi lex credendi um this the sense that our theology is our worship and this service is a perfect example of that yeah. of of the like what is it like what is it that we're trying to convey to the people on ash wednesday well it's all in the service so the opening call it goes like this Almighty and everlasting God, you hate nothing you have made and forgive the sins of all who are penitent. Create and make in us new and, and contrite hearts that we, worthily lamenting our sins and acknowledging our wretchedness, may obtain of you the God of all mercy, perfect remission and forgiveness through Jesus Christ our Lord who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Uh, th this day is, is, is it is a fitting beginning to the season of penitence. As we look at ourselves, we hold up a mirror and we realize that we are sinners and it's, it, it is hard to get this just right. Um, I, uh, we have uh, fancy words that we use to, to, to talk about this. And so anthropology is just like humanity. Right. And so we, we speak of people, uh, of, of, of us having a, Usually people who are Orthodox Christians have what's called a high Christology mm -hmm. and a low anthropology saying Jesus is good. Jesus is great. He's divine. He's perfect. Um, and, and we are sinners. It's not that we are so bad. It's just that like we want to have an accurate representation of who we are. And, um, and uh, the more progressive church doesn't like the idea of sin, doesn't like the idea of, of, uh, of this. Um, and they're kind of uncomfortable 
um, with the idea of of a low anthropology. So they have a, they have a much lower Christology and a much higher anthropology. And what I love about this liturgy is is, is it's an accurate um, reminder to us of right. just where we stand in all of this. Right. We Christians are realists. We yeah. uh, we stare in the face and we see a cadaver, or we stare in the face. We stare in the mirror and we yeah. accurately see a cadaver staring back. Yeah. I mean, in fact, I heard uh, a teaching by a, a very smart guy who, um, the, the, the idea of this devotion, he said he wanted to break us of this, uh, of this idea of worm theology. This is a seminary professor. Yeah. And, he, and he said, what do I mean by this? He said, well, um, there's an old hymn, Isaac Watts hymn, Alas, and did my Savior bleed? And the first stanza goes like this. Alas, and did my Savior bleed? And did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as as I? And he just didn't like that 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 Isaac Watts referred, I believe it's Isaac Watts, um, that he referred to human humans as as a worm. He's like, no, we got to, you know, he just thought that was far too low of an anthropology. Um, and, and it's, you know, I would say it's not that that we're just so bad. It's it's just that like. There's nothing that we can do about our own sin, that only God can fix that. And so um, on this or, day- or, or fix our decay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just honesty. It's the way of the world. <laughs> right. Yeah. Where will your high anthropology be at your funeral? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, there are two places that you can have an invitation to Holy Lent. Um, you can do it either at the beginning or after the sermon. And and um, we do it after the sermon, and uh, I'm going to read it because the, the theology is so, so good, good here. Yeah. Uh, so following the sermon, instead of um, reciting the Nicene Creed together, we, uh, I say this to the people. I say, dear people of God, the first Christians observed with great devotion the days of our Lord's passion and resurrection, and it became the custom of the church to prepare for them by a season of penitence and fasting. The season of Lent provided a time in which converts to the faith were prepared for holy baptism. It was also a time when those who, because of notorious sins, had been separated from the body of the faithful, were reconciled by penitence and forgiveness and restored to the fellowship of the church. In this manner, the whole congregation was put in mind the message of pardon and absolution set forth in the gospel of our Savior and of the need that all Christians continually have to renew our repentance and faith. I invite you, therefore, in the name of the church to the observance of a holy Lent by self-examination and repentance, by prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, and by reading and meditating on God's holy word. And to make a right beginning, let us now pray for grace that we may faithfully keep this Lent. So I ask you, Kirk, what is Lent all about? It is self-examination and repentance, yes. prayer, fasting, yep. almsgiving. Um, and ultimately, all of that is preparation for Easter, that, that we have a tendency to take on this stuff as works righteousness, as like kind of earning merit in the eyes of God. But, but in fact, it's not about the, the fasting. It is about preparation for the feast that is to come. Lent is, is as much as it is about prayer and fasting and almsgiving and all these really good things, all of that is preparation for the celebration of the resurrection. Um, and, and so as we be, do this season of, of self-examination repentance, um, it's, it's interesting. There's a, a period of silent prayer and there's a book uh, instructing priests on this. And I love it. I love the explanation here. It says um, that they remain in silence long enough for the people to think about repentance and mortality and to become uncomfortable. Ooh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. So physically uncomfortable, but also uncomfortable with the silence. Like we do, we live in a society filled with all sorts of sounds and this is a period of profound silence. It is not to be rushed. Um, and so, so there's a period of just simple reflection. And then um, it's, you know, uh, again, this is preparation for what Easter means for us that through Christ's work that we are given life. We are, we're given victory over sin and death. Um, but at the beginning of that, on Ash Wednesday, I am going to rub ashes on my children and I'm going to tell them they're, that they're going to die. I was going to ask you about that. I've, I, I've thought about, I was thinking about that the last several days. I want to ask Christopher, 
How, what have you thought, what goes through you as you look at your children and rub ashes on them and tell them that to dust they shall return? Uh, my hope is that this is just an integral part of their discipleship, a reminder that apart from Christ, um, th this is just a physical reminder. And it's interesting, Kirk. Many Catholics point out it's that, that it's interesting that this service is so popular because it's not a day of obligation. They don't like they don't oh. they're not obligated to, to attend this service. There are other feast days and, right. and certainly every Sunday is a day of obligation. This isn't. And the imposition of ashes is not sacramental. And so in, right. in this period of COVID, um, we've had discussions among priests of like, well, do do we still do this? And and of course, we're never answering just the 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 question of we're not merely answering the question of are we passing COVID with this? Because we're not. We know now that 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 this is um, right. the COVID has passed mostly um, through aerosolized virus particles, not by surfaces. So as even as I touch every person's forehead, like unless they're even if they licked each other's foreheads, it it should not be an issue. It's not the ingestion that that passes right. COVID. But but the question is like, well, what about people who are scared about getting COVID this way? And it's like, well, this isn't sacramental. That that they're that there is nothing about the imposition of right. ashes that they're, they're not receiving Christ no in any way of grace. That's right. Right. Yeah. Right. But uh, as Anglicans, people who believe that matter matters in the physicality of it, that there is something powerful about this physical bodily reminder of, of, of actually receiving well, the ashes. And um, again, this is, you don't have to receive it from a priest. Um, anyone can impose the ashes, but, um, but, as, as they are imposed, it's, it's a reminder um, to each of us. And it's important in our discipleship as we follow Jesus to remember um, the importance of, of, of our repentance. Like that is a huge emphasis in our tradition, Kirk, in our, in our Sunday service of that we, we don't want people to hide their sin or deny their sin, but to accurately hold up the mirror to see their sin and to repent of it and bring it to God. So mm -hmm. the next thing we do in the service after the imposition of ashes is what? Uh, we recite Psalm 51. Is that it? I don't have it in front That's of me. That's right. Yeah. Okay, good, good. This, this, um, this penitential Psalm that David wrote, um, when he was sorry, not necessarily that he had sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah, but he was mostly sorry that he sinned against God. Uh, he was genuinely, um, full of, of, of regret that he had sinned against God. It wasn't like, oh, I got caught. It wasn't that like, oh, I hurt these people. It's that like, I have grieved God by my my choice of this thing. And so we and so we recite this together, this, this 51st Psalm. Mm -hmm. And then we have this confession in Litany, litany of, of Penitence. That's a super long litany where we confess every conceivable yeah. sin. Yeah. <laughs> for negligence, for failure, uh, for blindness to human suffering, for wastefulness, for dishonesty, for self-indulgent appetites. We, 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 um, and, and th this is, uh, it's not about talking about how bad we are, but it's about realizing the ways of the parts of our, our hearts and lives that, that, um, that we haven't repented of, of sin. So Christopher, um, I think I've mentioned here before uh, this lovely book from the 1930s, maybe 20s, by Enid Chadwick. She was a, um, a parishioner in the Church of England, my book of the Church's Year. And, uh, and she has a page um, for Ash Wednesday. Mm. Um, uh, it's actually the page after Ash Wednesday where she discusses, as the prayer book mentions, that this, we begin a time of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Uh, and she mentions um, prayer as our weapon against the devil, mm. fasting as our weapon against the flesh, and almsgiving as our weapon against the world. And I've started to internalize that. And mm. I've, I've um, it, it's becoming less intuitive to me why these things are works righteousness. And I think I'm, I, I'm, I'm now, I have the eyes to see that these are, um, are necessary parts of the Christian life and particular, particular, particularly necessary parts of penitential seasons. 
Um, and so there's nothing works righteous about a penitential season, no. about having a season uh, of prayer and fasting and charity and a season that we spend on our knees um, in self-examination um, and, and, and turning. Um, they're turning to Christ, <laughs> repenting, going to war against our sin is not works righteousness. It is rather living into the life in which he's called us. Notice yeah. I did not end that sentence with a preposition. Yeah, and, and I only brought up works righteousness is, <laughs> is that, um, I mean, some people don't quite get Lent. Um, and so some people criticize it because they don't understand it well um, right. and they don't, they don't observe it. Um, and, and that's sad to me if they think it's just merely um, works righteousness. And to those people, I would, I would commend uh, a priest in our diocese wrote a really good book called The Good of Giving Up. Um, mm -hmm. by Aaron Damiani. Um, and he was, he wrote it um, from a, a low church evangelicals perspective of like, um, he was prepping for his honeymoon. Um, and uh, he was working on getting the beach bod. And uh, as he was watching all these people who were um, actually fasting, not for a beach bod, but um, uh, for the sake of, of every hunger they had reminding them of their need of Christ. Mm -hmm. um, and he realized just how much uh, meaning they were deriving of it, where he was, uh, he who criticized that as, as works righteousness was like, oh, like maybe I'm the one who doesn't get it. Yeah. But Kirk, there are people who observe Lent who do it for the wrong reasons as well, that they think that they're giving up of chocolate is somehow like um, a sacrifice for the sake of Jesus, right. which is not what it is. Yeah, I would say this. So we are not Buddhists. Christianity and Buddhism aren't the same thing. We're not kind of, you and I don't believe that, that, that all roads lead to God. Um, but, but common grace is bestowed on, on, on many different traditions. And the Buddhists have one of the noble, all four of the noble truths, I think, really get at a kernel of something. Um, but, but, but this particular, the noble truth that desire burns our soul it burns us, it kills us, it consumes us. I mean, this is the point of flat fasting is so that um, our, desi our desires are um, vying for our attention. They control all our decisions. I mean, as St. Paul writes at some point, like their, their belly is their God, right? <laughs> um, it forces us to acknowledge that our desires are our God. <laughs> and to feel it keenly when we feel our desires gnaw at us as we're fasting. It is a hard thing. And it also is, um, it's a hard, important truth for us to face off against. Um, and it's a, it's a part of our Christian walk. It is, it just is. You can't go through either the Old or the New Testament and see that we are not called into seasons of fasting and to war against our sin and our desire. Wouldn't you agree? I would agree. I have one last thought, Kirk. Um, All right. Think you away. Mentioned, you mentioned we'll almsgiving and, and we yes. didn't define what that is. Um, of course, uh, this used to be a very common word, but it, it's, it's simply the collection of, of, of money or resources for the poor. Um, uh, and uh, this is a big part of Lent is that as, as we give things up, sometimes we actually put aside um, the money we'd spend on those things, or, or we just give more um, towards, towards the needy. And Kirk, you talked about how this, what did you say in that quote from the book that, that, that almsgiving does what? Our weapon against the world. So yeah. as, our, and, we have, as we desire to buy stuff, right. don't buy that stuff and give. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so for some reason that brought to mind uh, a hymn, which text I love um, growing up, uh, so, so the, the, the hymn is Jesus calls us or the tumult, uh, which I don't love the, the tune that, that we right. used growing up, which was the tune <laughs> of Galilee, which is kind of a silly, like lilting. I like the minor key. Uh, I don't know the name of it, um, but the minor key, uh, but, but I want to talk about the lyrics. Um, this is verse three. Jesus calls us from the worship of the world's of the vain world's golden store from each idol that would keep us saying christian love me more yes that is such a good line yeah yeah and and as we give up things and give to the poor um we're we're just reminded of jesus call um that these these idols in our life that we want to spend our money on um that jesus is calling us to love him more and, and uh, 
That's well just, said. Remember, well, Cecil Alexander is the one who said it first, so I'm just quoting him. Well quoted. Uh, shall we end in prayer? Let's. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Let us pray. O God, who before the passion of your only begotten Son revealed his glory upon the holy mountain, grant that we, beholding by faith the light of his countenance, may be strengthened to bear our cross and be changed into his likeness from glory to glory. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Lighten our darkness, we beseech you, O Lord, and by your great mercy, defend us from all perils and dangers of this night. For the love of your only Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Next week, Kirk. Next week.